Spectrum is brought to you by the Scripps College of Communication at Ohio University. The Scripps College offers the foundation for individuals seeking to blend creativity and practice so that graduates have the freedom to direct their skills and move the world forward. Its faculty takes a multidisciplinary approach to academic, professional, and social growth so that graduates have relentless optimism to navigate the changing environment. Learn more at ohio.edu slash Scripps College. Welcome to Spectrum. I'm your host, Tom Hodson. On Spectrum, we cover a wide range of topics that are important to our daily lives. We feature journalists, authors, scholars, policymakers, activists, scientists, innovators, and sometimes just people who have fascinating stories. Today, we catch up with author, food journalist, social media celebrity, and our friend Katie Quinn. She updates us on the progress of her book, Cheese, Wine, and Bread, Discovering the Magic of Fermentation in England, Italy, and France. Since we last talked to Katie, her book has won major acclaim. She talks with us about the book and book promotion in the age of COVID. She also shares some personal holiday cooking tips that we think you'll find helpful. Katie, we talked at the end of May. Your book was published uh, at the end of April. Uh, so we were at the very beginning of, of your journey on, on the book. Yeah. So before we get into some of the things you've had to do in, in promotion, uh, let's give our listeners just again a summary. You looked at fermentation as the common thread between – Wine, bread, and cheese. Correct. Yes. Well done. That triangle, the the trinity of fermentation. There you go. And specifically in England, France, and Italy. And you went out the three and a half years to produce the book. Uh, This wasn't just you doing reportage. This was you in an immersive experience. I dug in, man. I I dug (laughs) my hands in deep, right? And, you know, that was everything from living on a goat farm in rural England, making goat's milk cheese every single day to, um, to to making wine, right? Being on a vineyard in Italy, clipping the grapes and, and fermenting them apprenticing with bakers at boulangeries all around Paris. Yeah, I, I got dirty and I kind of got my butt kicked, but it um, made for made for a good story. Well, you, you certainly had different I- experiences, but it had to be difficult, I would assume, to translate all of those experiences and make them real and in sort of a narrative form that your book takes to, to have people really feel it. Yeah, well, I think the realness of it that you just touched on, that was what I was going for. And that's why I knew I had to throw myself into these pretty uncomfortable situations because I wanted this to be real and I wanted it to feel accessible for people who wouldn't know how milk is turned into cheese. And and I thought the only way that I can do that is for me to go on this 
adventure and for me to experience the learning curve myself and then bring the reader along for the ride. So this may be an obtuse question, but I which, love obtuse which, <laughs> which came first, your love for cheese, wine, and bread and your interest in those or your interest in fermentation? Was fermentation sort of the secondary discovery to this, or was it primary? It was definitely secondary, because the spark for me was when I realized that like, my three favorite <laughs> things on earth, cheese, wine, and bread, that they're all fermented. I was like, wait a second. You know, I tend, or I used to think, of fermentation as like sauerkraut, kimchi, <laughs> right. kombucha, right? And and I think it was realizing, no, these daily, these these historic ancient products that are really on our daily tables, these are also fermented items. And I think that that click is what made me feel like, oh, I have to learn more about fermentation. I, th- I think some people, though, think fermentation is just something that happens. And and I know from reading your your book and talking with you, it really is a delicate proposition. And one little thing that goes wrong, and it's it's bad. That's that's absolutely right. It's um, you know yes, sure these bacteria will proliferate on their own um, in some cases, but it's really very specific circumstances. For instance, when you're making a cheese, when you're, when you're making a, a, a boule of sourdough bread, to get the end a delicious end product, it is you have to be very purposeful. Like this is a science and you have to have the right environment. You have to have all of these things, the temperature, the humidity. You have to have these things in mind and to be very specific about it in order to get the result you want. Otherwise, it's mold. <laughs> <laughs> So so do they have these recipes written down? Is it just passed down? Is it all in their heads as as the the process? It really depends. Um, with the bakers I worked with, cheesemakers and and also winemakers, it completely depends. Some people are super intuitive, like very much they almost like like a chef and they like taste as they go along. Um, I, you know, taste a bit in air quotes because it's not always necessarily but, just but, tasting. But they can make adjustments as exactly. they go. Exactly. Other times it is very much, um, very much following a recipe. And I think that the best ones really take into account a bit of both. How much creativity is there? In the fermentation process, I, mean, we, I know these recipes have been handed down for generations, hundreds of years, some of them. But, but each person who's doing it, do they want to put their own stamp on it? Do they want to do yeah. their own little twist? I think creativity plays a huge role. And in a way, when you, when you have just a few ingredients, take bread, for instance. This is flour, water a bit of salt and well and, and that's all and then some kind of a rising agent but when you're using sourdough well a sourdough starter is literally water and flour mixed together so, so right. that's not necessarily an additional ingredient um so really flour water and and a bit of salt and and then the yeast which could be a starter and 
when you're working with such limited things, you could think, oh, this is so simple or how much creativity is there really? And there is so much. The fact is that there's so much. It's almost overwhelming. You could look at the types of flour, right? And um, not just the the parts of the grain that are used to make the flour, but all the grains out there. Um, yeah, there, there are really endless ways to tweak, to adjust, and then to get a different end product. Like, Tom, how holy do you like your loaves of bread? Like, do you like little fermentation bubbles? Do you like those big no, gaping I, I fermentation like bubbles? <laughs> you like the big ones? I like okay, the big ones. I do too. So that's a choice that a baker makes along the way to really to nurture <laughs> the, the fermentation in that loaf before it goes into the oven. So after all this journey and after writing the book and – uh, just doing the field work was one thing. Then coming back and putting it all together and doing the recipes. I mean, this is – we've talked before. It's a bit of a, an immersive experience from you. It's a bit of a memoir. It's a bit of a narrative. It's a bit of a recipe book. It's a bit of a science book. Uh, it, it's It's everything combined. But after you did all that, what do you want to do with fermentation now for yourself that you could put your own stamp on? Do you want to do your own variety of cheese? <laughs> do you want to do you know, a specialty bread that other people haven't thought of? I mean, is it still in your mind how to do this? You know, what an interesting question. I think uh – one point, I would have thought a little more entrepreneurially about this interest <laughs> in fermentation. At this point, though, um, I think my interest in fermentation and all that I've learned about it has really just morphed into an appreciation for fermentation in a way that it it helps me um, enjoy fermented items all the more. It helps me appreciate people who do these things really well at my farmer's market, at, you know, at restaurants, anywhere I get this kind of food. I think I just have a, high, a greater appreciation for it. And therefore, it's more delicious to me. But, but at the same time, do you have a corollary skepticism of mass-produced oh my gosh <laughs> things like mass-produced wines oh, and mass-produced vinegars and mass-produced cheeses and at the risk of sounding like a snob uh yeah I totally I have major skepticism <laughs> <laughs> for sure yes I mean after having lived it and and being there and and feeling it and then living with it in, in your book. You go to a supermarket in the United States and you got to be going, what is this? Well, it's just a different <laughs> – it's just a different product, right? Like the industrially made block cheddar is just a different product than an artisanally but it's, made it's, farmhouse. It's still Mark Cheddar. <laughs> but it's still Mark Cheddar and that's the thing with, with labeling and, and marketing and you – Wine is a particularly tricky topic for this reason um, because the label doesn't really tell you much. And no, the doesn't. things that it does tell us often marketing. And 
the bouquet of grapefruit. Exactly, <laughs> exactly. Throw in, throw yeah. in whatever um, as opposed to the kind of grapes in the process. Mm-hmm, exactly, and I think I have seen, and I also not only have I seen artisans, really talented, passionate artisans, making some really hard decisions to continue making a quality product. Um, and when I say making hard decisions, I mean hard business decisions to stay in business. There, they choose to do something that that makes a better product, but you know what? It might not be great for the bottom line at the end of the day, but it's worth it to them. Um, so I've seen it's that reputation. It's it, that that is true, and it's also a sense of pride. Yeah. Um, but I I have also equally seen how easily these products can be corrupted. Um, how easy it is in a winery. Even if the vineyard is organic, certified organic, um, you know, and that means no pesticides right. are used in the vineyard. Well, guess what? <laughs> certified organic vineyard doesn't say anything about how the wine is fermented in the cellar. So there can still be plenty of additives trickled in in the in the process in the process and. And I've I've seen that happen, and I'm like, well, why? Why are you adding that? Couldn't you have picked the grapes at a later time when they had more of tannins naturally, right. for instance? You know, and so um, I'm just like, this is not cut and dry, and um, and it's and it's these products are kind of easily corrupted. And uh, again, all that has done is made me really appreciate when something is done really well, and and the integrity. Yes, that's such a great word. To the product. Yes. And into the process. That's exactly, yes, that's exactly what I'm talking about. So why don't you read a little bit from from the book? Last time I talked to you, I didn't have you do that. I'm sorry I didn't. Uh, You've got a, a, a brief section where you're starting to talk about how you started this and why. Yeah, happily. I'd love to do this. And this is this starts right under this beautiful illustration that my illustrator, Jesse Canellos Weiner, did um, that looks like a stain, stained glass um, of the this trinity, right? Cheese, wine, and bread. So I love, I love all the illustrations in this book. And so this, this paragraph begins just under that one. I'm not a highly curated, picture-perfect human. I'm a quirky, line-drawing, scribbles person. Also, I would operate at lightning speed if I could. Thankfully, I found an antidote to this haste, fermentation. When things aren't moving fast enough for me, fermentation reminds me of the value of waiting. Feeding my sourdough starter every morning, brewing a new batch of kombucha weekly. At the risk of sounding like an unhinged hipster, these are the routines that ground me. The practice of fermentation is as old as civilization itself, but the splendor of it found me in my early 30s as I was settling into my new home. Bread and beer, kimchi and sauerkraut, wine and cheese, all are examples of fermented products. Many of our most common kitchen items are. Fermentation is right under our noses, but it is only now entering most people's awareness. Fermentation is the process by which a substance breaks down into a simpler substance, altering food with microbes rather than by cooking it with fire. 
If this produces the most essential, delicious foods on Earth, what can the same process do for us as humans? Our lives ferment. We all have awkward, smelly phases along with delicious, robust ones. And mine certainly did, as I made discoveries about myself while exploring cheese, wine, and bread in England, Italy, and France. The draw of these foods is that they take time to be transformed almost magically by the microbes within, which is a comforting prospect and a necessary antidote to our live-tweeting culture. For instance, when you post a photo on Instagram or Facebook, do you automatically refresh the page as the likes pop up? Imagine if you had to wait two weeks or two months before you could see the responses. But when you received them, those responses, although not instantaneous, were somehow able to endure, like a lingering hug or a letter that's traversed an ocean to land in your mailbox. Rather than the quick high of a digital fist bump, you receive a warm embrace. To me, that's akin to the satisfaction fermentation offers. It's what makes a bread of rich flavors that meld beautifully, presented as a pillowy braid or boule with a perfume of yeast, and is similar to how my brain's neurons relearned how to fire together after my skiing accident. There's not an exact scientific parallel, but you get the idea. Both are time and conditioning working in tandem to create something altogether different and wholly incredible. The crisis that accompanied moving abroad broke me out of my comfort zone to seek unfamiliar trades, poke my curiosity, and learn new languages to strengthen my connection with the people I encountered. Circumstance and intention can give birth to something wonderful, just like cheese, wine, and bread. This book is my exploration of those three things. To me, this trio is life's essence, a microcosm representative of its nourishment and joy. I began studying fermentation in order to dive even deeper into the things that fed my body, literally and figuratively. It's with this realization that my journey begins. And it goes on from there in equally eloquent prose. <laughs> I just thank you, Tom. I, I I just really love uh, the way you write it because it's so um, accessible uh, and and vulnerable and authoritative at the same time. <laughs> <laughs> That's a weird mix. Isn't no, it? thank you. That's a huge compliment, <laughs> and coming from you, I, I don't take it lightly. Thank you that, so that, much. That, that's that's very very well done. Uh, the book came out in in April, and and as I said, that we we talked in in May, but a lot has happened to the book, um, in and you can add more. But I know in August there was a great Wall Street Journal piece uh, on the book. Uh, it's been listed by Real Simple Magazine, which has a huge following. As, as one of the top books of, of the year. Uh, it's been listed among the best cookbooks. And, and I'm not sh – it is a cookbook, but it's not a cookbook. But, but fine. It's been right. rated. It's, yeah, I feel the same <laughs> it's, way. Yeah. It's been ranked. Yeah. Uh, 
How did you feel about that? Did you expect that? Was that something you would have been disappointed if you didn't get all the accolades? But it seemed to, to, to catch people's imagination. I certainly had hopes. I had high hopes. I mean, like you mentioned earlier, this this book was three and a half years in the making. I threw all of myself into this book. So I I certainly had high hopes for it and I and I am proud of it. Um at the same time, success is such a subjective thing and you know, shy of it being, um, you know, eat, pray, love or something, yeah, right. which, you know, I wouldn't even want necessarily. Um, it's like, how do you define, how do you define success? And and I, I really kind of worked on my headspace on that a lot ahead of the book even coming out, right? Because I knew... When something's so important to you and you and you've invested well, so much, yeah. not only financially but personally and and time wise, exactly. I I really I worked on myself, and so I I defined for myself what is success with this book, and the way that I defined it for myself is: Did I learn something? Did I grow? Did I challenge myself? And the answer to that is a huge yes. Um, Secondly, did I did I expand my circle, my network um, in this world? Do I now have more people I can reach out to about whatever X Y Z professionally, um, professionally speaking, of course, and um, and third, did it open opportunities for the next thing? Um, so, in other words, when when I close this book, am I also – is it closing off opportunities of next things happening? And so for each of those three things, before the book even came out, I decided that it's already been a success for me for those reasons. And therefore, <laughs> therefore, all of those things that you listed, for example, all all of the – TV shows I've gotten to go on and the interviews I've, I've gotten to be a part of um, have just been icing and figurines on the cake, <laughs> really. Well, it, to me, in watching your career, because I followed you from early days on YouTube, um, it's almost a demarcation. And, and let me explain what I'm saying. But it may not make sense to you, but it makes sense to me. Uh, <laughs> that is, when you were doing your YouTube stuff that you're still doing, it, er, but early on, you were the high energy, uh, QKD, you know, quirk. Let's keep it quirky. Mm-hmm. Uh, all of these things that were you. I mean, they weren't put on, but I, I think the the media opportunities you got from that were that we want this young woman who's quirky and, and upbeat and energetic to translate things. I mean, you did a lot of things. You were on Beat Bobby Flay as a judge. You were, you did Chopped. You, you, you were on the Today Show. You were, you were on all of these shows, but always in the sense of that person, 
that sort of social media celebrity, the traditional media was co-opting. Right. Since the book, it seems like there's been a demarcation. Now you're the author. Now you have substance. Not that you didn't have substance before, but it's like the media world thinks, oh, my God. This, this quirky person that was doing these crazy YouTube videos now has some substance. So it seems to be a de- – the book seems to be a demarcation. You know, Tom, I feel that. I do, and I enjoy that <laughs> because, you know, it is so interesting doing these YouTube videos. Uh, they are me, as you said, right? This is, this is me. Um, I'm not playing a character. No, no. But – there is so much more to me, of course, right? Of course there is. Um, but I, I'm i a nerd and I love books and I love studying. Like I've always loved school, right? And I – and writing this book was such an opportunity and I loved every second. I mean every second of every part of this process – Um, And there were parts of the process I didn't know to expect. I didn't know that that I would end up feeling like a project manager at a certain point because I was working with all these freelancers, the illustrator and photographers, and and also almost being the go-between between my publishing, my editor, and um, these other people. And and doing it in Europe as opposed to here. Right, across continents and, um, and organizing it all and... You know, I was like spreadsheets girl for a while and I was like, "Oh dang, I'm not just sitting down writing this book. I'm not just I'm not just researching this book. I'm not even just traveling having these experiences for this book. I mean, this is using every single part of of my abilities um Except for the one that I put on the internet every day, you know? And so, like, that that's there. I flex that muscle all the time. Um, This has nothing to do with setting up a camera, looking in the lens, and talking to it. This has everything to do with flexing all of the other muscles in my brain. Um, And I just stinking loved it. (laughs) Well, it's it's interesting because you you did a lot of Today shows. You were an intern there. You were a page there and you worked uh, there. But the the early Today show uh, interviews and then the ones now in promoting the book, totally different. The, the, The Good Morning America where you were talking, I think there were four or five people. Uh-huh. <laughs> on the set. They gave you a long time for yeah. for television. Yeah, I and I think that at the I don't th- if you rewind 5 years ago, I don't think that the Katie at that point would have even known what to do with that time because I was like fun, quirky. I had yeah. my talking points. This is the food hack I'm talking about. Like, yippee. Yeah. <laughs> and I'm not sure what else I would have had to do. So I feel like the work I'm doing now has so much more substance that awesome. Like, I'll, I'll talk to you for two minutes. If that's all we've got, fine. And I'll, and I'll, I'll hit like the highlights. But if you got more time, watch out because I'm going I'm to talk your ear off. <laughs> I have a lot to talk about. We'll be back after this message. 
Spectrum's brought to you by the Scripps College of Communication at Ohio University. The Scripps College is one of the most comprehensive colleges of communication in the country. It offers a foundation of creativity and practice so that graduates can move the world forward. In particular, the Scripps College offers challenging coursework that holds students to high expectations an integrated curriculum that combines a variety of disciplines and ideas, and student-driven media organizations where students can apply these skills and gain experience that enables them to hit the ground running upon graduation. That's the Scripps College of Communication at Ohio University. So let's talk a little bit about book promotion. Normally, uh, a book from a publisher like yours, a major publisher, uh, they would bring you to the States. They would book a a coast-to-coast tour. You would do book signings and speeches and and media appearances across the country. A book came out. Everybody thought things were going to open up. Then the Delta variant came along. COVID shut things down again. Um, you had to do things differently this time. Yes, <laughs> that's absolutely true. Uh, and it was um, an interesting ride. Uh, let's um, let's see. So I have some fun anecdotes about that. Yeah, please. Uh, so I was doing a recipe demo, the um, arancini recipe in the book, which is fried risotto balls stuffed with mozzarella and eggplant. Um, and I was doing this. Um, this was for a show uh, ho- called Home and Family on the Hallmark Channel. And a lot it was it was live to tape, which means yes. it's, it it goes. You don't stop, correct? Uh, so they don't have to edit it, right? Exactly. And in the middle of the recipe demo, a framed photo, a large framed photo, fell right behind me. Glass shattered at my feet. <laughs> And I was like, uh. So anyway, these are the things that don't happen when you're. Uh, on like at the studio, no, they don't. <laughs> of a place. Um, another uh, s- similar story, although not quite so cra- catastrophic, thank goodness, was uh, when I went on the Today Show. Again, it was a live feed in my apartment in Italy, and I'm live, and my gas lighter won't light. <laughs> And so Savannah Guthrie is welcoming me and saying hi, and I'm just like, oh, yeah. I mean, oh, my gosh. So things like that where it's like if I were just in the studio, none of this would be a problem. Right. But you know what? It all worked out at the end of the day. I'm happy with with how it well, turned you, you You were in Italy while you were doing all of these. Right. I mean, thank God your husband is is tech savvy and a rock star in 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 videography and everything. Did they send you cameras? Did you just do it through your computer? How did you do these live shots? Because you did them from your apartment, Correct. Yeah, that's right. Did it from my apartment in southern Italy. And um, I, because what I do has so much to do with production and video work, I, I have some quality equipment. So we hooked up my nice camera 
to the computer. Whereas I think a lot of um, other chefs who might go on the Today Show, for instance, um, just use like their iPhone or yeah. maybe a computer camera. And that's fine, right? That works. But if I have the opportunity to to make a shot look nicer and better, then then I'll certainly do what I can do. I could not have done it alone, though. I mean, Connor being there helping me set up, um, it w- it was it made all the difference because when you're getting ready to go on live television in front of millions of Americans, the last thing you want to do is worry about am I perfectly in focus. Yeah, right, right. right. The time difference also has to be an issue. It's what, seven hours? Six Six? hours from Eastern Standard Time. Um, And (laughs) again, Tom, I'm like, yeah. So like, for instance, um, publishing week, I was just – so you mentioned that in a normal world, my publishing house would have Set me up on this media tour. tour. Exactly. And I would have gone, yeah, exactly, across country. I was looking forward to that too. Um, Didn't pan out. But um, at least for publication week, I had a super jam-packed schedule of various uh, media promotional um, events. And I remember, I mean – for instance, I did one that began at 5 p.m. in Los Angeles, which was 3 a.m. <laughs> my time in, in Italy. Italy. And so, I mean, I went to sleep after that. And I was, you know, it's all worth it because this is like short term. Like I have such a goal. I'm so focused. And and really after that, the next day, I felt so jet lagged. I felt like so hungover. I hadn't had less Well, after <laughs> doing all those and, and doing that, you know, in such weird hours, didn't you sometimes after it over saying, what did I say? Oh, my gosh. Did, I, did, I hope did, I didn't say something did, ridiculous. I hope I wasn't really stupid. Yeah. <laughs> because oh my gosh, you yes. totally forget. I yeah. mean, it, 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 or you do it over and over <laughs> again to the point where you're going – did I already say that? Am I, know. I saying that twice? You 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 really are so spot on. It's just like this is such a stinking whirlwind. So you you did all that from home. Um, you are now back in in the states for a short time visiting uh, your your family, uh, and you spent a, a few days, a couple of days in in Manhattan and New York. You're you're former uh, place where yeah. really sort of launched you. And, yeah. and, Old and, stomping and, grounds. In many ways. You got a little taste of what you would have had minus COVID, correct? Yeah, and that was so nice. I, d- I did a whole um, basically whirlwind tour with Barnes & Nobles all around Manhattan, um, doing book signings there. Um, yeah, it made me a little sad to tell you the truth that that wasn't – more a part of the experience of this that book. you missed out on that right and and it's so special getting to meet um people who have read the book too um that it's it's really fulfilling to know that that it's being received in a in a positive way so i you know but the thing that gives me a lot of hope and just positivity in terms of looking into the future is that this book 
is so evergreen, right? Yes. I mean, cheese, wine, and bread. These these things have been around forever, and they're not going anywhere. <laughs> they're not. They're not going to change the formula either. Exactly. And so these these stories, um, and the people that I interviewed in this book, even you know, many years from now. When the even when the people have maybe stopped making these things, there will be other people just like them. And um, I do think that I do, I think that this book has legs. That brings up something that that I wanted to ask you, and that is it, we've been talking about family. It's you know the holidays, and and you've been home with your family. Um, family seems to mean a whole lot to these people who are doing these things. It's it's almost carrying on the family tradition, carrying on the family honor, carrying on the family name. How important is that really? Or did I just per- misperceive that? No, it's, it is hugely important. Um, you're absolutely right. In many cases, it is, you know, I've talked to a cheesemaker who's like, the 14th generation on this dairy farm, right? That, um, and like literally this one woman, Mary Quick in England is the 14th generation on home farm in um, Dorset. No, Devon. She's in Devon, England. It's, It's hugely important. And this idea of heritage, of continuing tradition um, is also very much the backbone of Integrity, going back to what we were talking about before, yeah. of doing things the right way. The right way. Yeah. In a certain way and um in many ways the the right way. If yeah. I if I cheat on this, I might blemish granddad's name. Exactly. He's what, gonna be rolling whatever. in his grave. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. You incorporated some family in your book. Yeah. Uh, and and talk about why you did that. So and you know, you mentioned earlier that I'm living in Italy, and the reason for that is actually goes back to researching this book and some stories that I included in the book. So my grandmother is 100% Italian, my mom's mom, and her parents, both of her parents were born in Italy. While I was in Italy visiting vineyards, researching for the wine portion of the book, I I want to say happened upon, but it it was really, I really dug for it, Um, my great-grandfather's birth certificate. With that document, I I was able to start pursuing Italian dual citizenship, um, which which is really kind of, was the motivation to move to Italy during COVID. So uh, my family roots... I literally have a chapter in the book called Family Roots. <laughs> right. Yeah. And yeah, no. So it, it was just as important to my my ongoing journey. I'm an it, Italian but, dual citizen now. But it's how it's sort of mixed with the family experience of the, the wine, cheese, and bread. Yes. <laughs> it, it, it wasn't just, oh, she's got to mention her family. It was all incorporated. Well, and I think one of my big takeaways from the – the experiences of this book and writing the book is the realization that these things do not exist in a silo. And when I say these things, I mean not only the products, cheese, wine, and bread, right? They go together in so many ways. They are all intertwined and everything. Um, everything about the production of them, the the artisanship, um, the food systems around them, n- nothing 
Um, just like I said, nothing exists in a silo. There's such a symbiotic relationship between all of these moving parts. And, uh, and I think that I realized as I was writing the book just how cohesive everything is. And that includes the personal aspect too, yeah. the people behind the products um, and in the place behind the product, right? There's all of these things play together. So in a way that um, necessitates um, sharing. And I think that's what I try to do. What's been the response of the people that you worked with, talked with, lived with to the book? Um, mostly, mostly like a total blushing kind of <laughs> thing, right? I mean, like. I, I didn't really know what you were doing here. <laughs> <but>. <laughs> I thought you were just like this annoying girl yeah, hanging right. around who wouldn't leave us alone. Um, yeah, no, r really positive, which, um, which has been really, really wonderful. So now we're talking during the holidays. I have a couple of questions for you. I don't expect you to give recipes over the over the air <laughs> in, in, in an auditory way. <laughs> yeah. However, that's very yeah. that's very difficult. But two things I wanted to ask you. One is a lot of families are together uh, at this time, uh, and uh, they might want to do something. I've noticed. In your Instagram post and everything, you've been doing things with your family in the kitchen, yeah. some new and some traditional. What from the book might people who are collected as a family want to try or want to want to get started with? Ooh, this is a great question. This is a great question. Okay, well, uh, because it is a holiday specific question. The first thing that comes to my mind is my Stilton scones with cranberries because Stilton is is very much a Christmas cheese. Um, historically okay. and still in in England okay. is the cheese you have to have over Christmas. Stilton. Stilton. Got it. It's a blue cheese for those Ooh. who don't know. And um, – and so if you have any Stilton lying around that didn't get eaten off the cheese board, which honestly would never happen in my family, but if, but you, if, have, you, have. if you have any extras, they're so stinking good in these scones, a great way to use that cheese. And scones are just a great thing to have around, um, around the house for a snack, for, for breakfast, um, so good with a cup of coffee. And the cranberries in there give it give it a nice. And, um, and scones are something multiple people can get involved. Oh with, yeah, with, have with some yeah, yeah. Ha exactly. Have one person mixing, have another person, uh, you know, and like little kids can easily um, make the make the balls of um, of scones. But okay, speaking of what families can do together, I think the arancini, which I mentioned earlier in our conversation, is also a great one because. You can have kind of like a line of people doing things because basically you have the risotto, the cooked risotto, right. and then you have the filling, this like eggplant tomatoey filling. You got to put it in. Exactly. You seal it up. Seal it up, pass it along, and then bread it, right? So dip it in the egg white, dip it in the bread crumbs, um, and then fry it. So there are all kinds of stations, which is always great for fam family gatherings. All right, go ahead. Well, do you cook a lot with your family? I do. Yeah, yeah but but <laughs> I have to be honest. I'm the cook in the family Are because you? 
My wife's going to uh, write a book uh, <gasps> that's going to challenge hers. It's going to be called The Kitchen is My Enemy. Oh, <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> and so I do most of the cooking, but uh, I, I've got a three-year-old granddaughter, and uh, I'm going to start with her, and, and we're, we're going to start doing some things together. So. Is she a good eater? She is. Yeah, she she'll eat lucky anything you that you put it, anything that you put in front of her. The other question I had was after the holiday, after the holiday, we all have this January blah. Uh, I don't know whether they have that in Europe, but here you you remember it's, Yeah, it's, no, they do in Europe as it's well. It's the January letdown, the weather's crappy. Uh it's just horrible time. Yeah. So what from your book might brighten people up? What might they want to try? I want to try the drunken spaghetti, but yeah. uh, but, but what what else might be in there? So actually, drunken spaghetti was one thing that that comes immediately to mind. I mean, it depends on what kind of January lulls you're feeling. If you're feeling like you need to stay away from carbs and alcohol, then drunken spaghetti is probably not, not for the you. One. But if you're just feeling kind of um, depleted, a little exhausted, and like, I want something simple and delicious, and I also don't really want to go out to the grocery store, this this recipe for drunken spaghetti, um, sp- spaghetti all'ubriaca in Italian, um, it's a red wine spaghetti. Oh, it's great. It, you have four cloves of garlic <sighs> and red wine and and, and it, freshly ground cheese on it. Yeah, it's, it's, it's excellent, right? It is just like these simple ingredients. The thing that I love about it is that it's like pretty much all pantry items. Like you probably already have the pasta, the red wine. You probably have garlic cloves. I looked today because I'm, I'm thinking of making it this weekend. And so I looked yes. today and yes, I don't have to get anything. Yes. isn't that, And isn't that all we want sometimes? Yes. We're like, I don't want to go to the grocery store. Yes. But I want something delicious and I just – and I want something that I can whip up and this takes – no time. This is this is very very little time. About as much time as it takes to simply cook the pasta. Um, and on top of that, it is it is beautiful. It's gorgeous because the spaghetti gets this plum hue. Um, really beautiful. So so that's um, yeah. I'll go with that one. Also, the Welsh rarebit. Um, is, is a recipe I have in here. That sounds difficult. I haven't looked at that. Oh, one. it's so easy, Tom. Okay. It's okay. so easy. It's basically toast, and then you make this like eggy, cheesy sauce, sauce and put it on top, and then you pop it in the oven. It's so okay. easy. And I, the way I have it is I have Welsh rabbit with a kick, so I put a little bit of like pepper, sliced peppers on top because nice. I like that spice. I think it cuts the fattiness of the cheese really well. So those those are going to be my January go-tos. All right. Well, we'll try to follow your cues. Do you have any January go-tos, Mr. <laughs> Chef? Uh, I, I usually go soups in, in, <sighs> yeah. in, in January. I've got a, a great uh, country mushroom soup that, that, that I'd love to make and some clam chowders and, and, oh. and those kinds of things. So I, I, I go with soup. I, I, this fall, I have to say, I, I tried uh, – there's uh, the inn at Little Washington outside of Washington, D.C. Okay. It just got its Michelin Ooh. stars. And, and they have 
I, I ate there a couple of years ago, and they have an apple rutabaga soup. Apple that rutabaga. Is, is it puree? Yes. It's apple and rutabaga and carrot and sweet potato. Oh. And it's cut with maple syrup, cream, and cayenne pepper. I am <laughs> salivating. I, I, that sounds absolutely excellent. I'll send you that recipe. Please yeah. do. Please do. Katie, uh, I, I know you've been home and, and, and enjoyed it, and you're, you've got to go back. And thank you for spending some, some time with us and, and sharing more stories. Uh, you know, best of luck with the book. As you said, it's evergreen. I hope it continues and continues and continues until you launch your next project, whatever that will be. Thank you so much, Tom. It's always a pleasure to talk with you. And one day, we're going to have, like, I think maybe I should take your seat and I'm just going to interview you because, <laughs> no, seriously, I'm so fascinated by your career. I mean, It's honestly, been varied. It's been, it's been many and varied. The more I learn about you, like, lawyer, you were a judge, right? Yeah, yeah. What? I mean, yeah. come on. So About 10 years. So basically, next time, I'm going to take the entire hour and uh, dedicate it to um, grilling you. <laughs> okay. I, I worked at the Supreme Court, too, for a while. Really? For, 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 I was a judicial fellow at the U.S. Supreme Court. and uh, you got, kidding me? No. And, and I've got all kinds of stories about that. So, yeah, we'll let you interview me next time. Okay, we'll wait. Be- here's, here's a quick question before we wrap sure. this up. What is the thread? What is, this, what is the same part of you that is exercised from when you were a lawyer on the Supreme, helping with the Supreme Court, um, to what you're doing now, which yeah. is inc- also incredible work. By well, the way. when I did trial work uh, as an attorney, and I used some of the very same techniques I use as a journalist, the same way of questioning, the same way of formulating uh, interrogation of a witness is the same way you, you structure an interview. You, you look at nonverbal signs of the person that you're talking to. Oh, yeah. But it's not just talking to the person. It's trying to convey that story, whatever story that person has, to an audience. In trial, it was to a jury or to a judge. And in broadcast or in journalism, it's taking that same interview technique and conveying it to an audience so that the audience understands and the it, the story resonates with with the audience so there are a lot of similarities i see that parallel uh, and and being a judge was just because i loved being in the courtroom and oh. you as a private attorney you aren't in the courtroom that often uh, just in in practice and so i was in the courtroom Every single day, and I loved it. <laughs> oh, I, yeah, I I totally get it, and I see I see why you would be. Very and and good when at I that. was at Supreme Court, I, I I did really three things. I worked in the administrative office of the Chief Justice, and so I got to deal with federal judges and all kinds of other uh, issues just in the administration of the court. 
I, I spent about a third of my time working for legal counsel of the court, which was looking at acts before Congress and how they impacted the federal judiciary or the Supreme Court. And then I spent about a third of my time working with the uh, Public Information Office and the National and International Press Corps that, that uh, handled the Supreme Court. Does so, that feel like a lifetime ago, like a, like a different yeah. Tom? Or does it feel like, no, that was one branch I no, grew No, that was just and, sort of one branch of yeah. the, the common tree, which is uh, communication, uh, storytelling, and translating. When I was judge... Uh, now, we can't go on with this. We'll have to I'm, stop. But, but, I'm super but, curious. But, but when I was judge, I, I uh, took legal terms and translated them and did minute programs here on WOUB for public broadcasting. Oh. And I called it legal reminders. And I would translate legal terms in common, <gasps> ordinary English and oh try, to, try to educate the public about the judicial system. So I, I've had communication running through all of the aspects of what I've been doing. Was that kind of the stepping stone for you then? Um, in part. Yeah. yeah. In part. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> Well, Tom, so, I, w- I will. Well, um, I'll follow the, thank the you. steps and, and, of your career. And, and we'll, 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 we'll do an interview. We'll do a reverse interview. I can't wait. All right. Thank you. Thank you. Today, we've been talking with author and food journalist Katie Quinn about promotion of her book, Cheese, Wine, and Bread, during the COVID pandemic. Spectrum is produced by WOUB Public Media. Adam Rich is our co-producer. I'm your host, Tom Hodson. Please subscribe to Spectrum. You can do that at Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Google Podcasts, or at NPR One. Spectrum also is part of the NPR Podcast Directory. We always welcome your feedback, so please rate our podcast or review it through one of your favorite podcast outlets. If you have questions or comments about our podcast or have suggested topics for us to cover, please direct them to me by email. You can do that easily at hodson at ohio.edu. That's hodson, H-O-D-S-O-N, at ohio.edu. Have a good day, everyone.